on the day I submit my letter of resignation. And I say, I can't work here anymore. And I write a big, long email about, hey guys, I know production's king and all that stuff, but someone's gonna die here. And I basically said what I said here, this long dissertation. And I said, I am imploring you to stop, think, assess risks. Someone's going to die. the new first deal we were telling this story you know i was fortunate to have my first job be with a company called cargill cargill is the largest privately owned company i think in the world definitely in the united states but i think in the world and i started at cargill you guys all know my story i, I worked in a salt mine in cargill and one of the things that was ingrained in you working in a mine and working at Cargill specifically. Cargill is notoriously serious about safety and, and they mean it. They ain't bull, they're not bullshitting. My very first job in industry was at Cargill where safety was absolutely job number one. The reason it was job number one is because it's good business, but also because Cargill was a family owned company, you know, they, they own lots of dangerous industries. They don't want people dying. I mean, it, there's no reason for people to die at work, okay? And at Cargill, it was very, very serious. Cargill, safety was number one. You basically got fired for two reasons at Cargill. Number one, absenteeism. So they had the, this AWOL system. If you had got six AWOLs and you were a minute late when you had six AWOLs, you're gone. It, it was zero tolerance. It didn't matter who you were, you were gone. And the second reason, safety you get caught working on a belt no lockout tag out you get you know above five feet without being tied off i'm telling you it was literally zero tolerance like safety was absolutely job number one and it's everyone's responsibility and i was remember i was a member of behavioral sciences technology sharks team was called shark and where basically you observe people work and you give them feedback on how they can do their job safely right and you know everyone knows my story i was uh, at cargill Safety was absolutely job number one. And then, you know, I mean, we went years and years and years without a lost time accident. And and while some of the books were cooked, like people kind of got dinged and stuff and never reported it, but it was never a, there was never a major injury or anything that they slid under the rug, right? So <clears throat> I left Cargill and I went into printing and it was, and that was a privately owned company and safety was just fucking ignored. I mean, you know, you could, I mean, you literally could like, do high risk behaviors all the time. There's a you know, within within industry or within behavioral sciences, there's a concept called Heinrich's accident triangle, which basically says that you have to it, it you can basically work back from fatalities, determine the number of at risk behaviors that had to be had to happen in order for someone to die. So you got to have uh, you're on mute, Zach. It's, it's kind of like a sales funnel or something. Exact, exact same concept. You got to have a certain number of at-risk behaviors to get it, to get one first aid. You got to have a certain number of first aids to have a, um, to have a near miss. You have to have uh, a certain number of near misses to have a lost time accident. And you need to have a certain number of lost time accidents to have a fatality. Right. And so then I, I left that printing company and I went and I worked for Newcore Steel. One of the, you know, in, in, in my opinion, Dan D'Amico was the CEO there at the time. Newcore Steel, I was talking about this in mentorship this morning, is one of the one of the greatest companies in the United States, one of the best companies to work for, phenomenal place to be, amazing people. And I and I made shit ton of money. In fact, the way that we the our compensation structure is based on the Newcore model. I talk about it all the time. During the downturn, you know, they didn't lay anybody off. They invested money in infrastructure and, you know, just crushed the market when they came out of the downturn after the Great Recession. But one thing that Newcore Steel wasn't good at in the facility I worked at was safety. 
They were terrible. And Vaughn and I were talking about this. He was in upstate. I worked in a mill in upstate New York and he ran into a couple of guys at a bar and, you know, what are you doing here? Blah, blah, blah. And he said, Oh, I, I work for this company. Oh, you work for Walker Reynolds. I go, Oh, we know that guy, that guy. He's the guy who wrote the email at Newcore steel. So here's the story of the email. So when I went to Newcore steel, I worked in the electrical department. So I was in the electrical group. I worked in the rolling mill. And one of the first things that stood out to me when I was at Nucor was just how unsafe things were. I mean, not only is working in a steel mill dangerous, but people there were fucking reckless. I mean, just absolutely. I could not believe that we didn't have dead bodies everywhere. I'm seriously, I saw things happen in my, and I can't remember how long I was there. I think maybe like four or five months before I'm like, man, this is really modus operandi. This is normal shit. You know, and I may have been there a year by the time I wrote this email. I can't remember how long it was, but I finally just, I, I mean, I used to see crazy shit. So, you know, we had a shutdown day every Wednesday for one shift and guys would climb up on the, I would see people up on cranes with no harnesses, not tying off. We're talking, we're not taught, we're talking screen, cranes over the scrapyard. I would see people working on three phase 4160 motors that drove rolling mill stands that were not locked out. I mean, like literally they push the button to pop the vacuum breaker. They wouldn't lock it out. They'd walk all the way down to the MCC at the end of the MCC to work on the stand. Nothing. I saw NFPA 70E, which is the arc flash standard. There was literally no NFPA 70E standard within the organization. I mean, it was insane. It was pure insanity. I mean, I would see, I would see the types of things every day. I would see 20, 30, 40 examples of behaviors that would have gotten you fired immediately working at Cargill in the mine. I mean, immediately. And at Nucor, it was just normal. It was normal behavior. And it wasn't, this wasn't a Nucor corporate thing. What I ended up learning was that Nucor had acquired this mill a few years earlier. And that mill used to be like a mom and pop mill. And all the guys that were still there, they operated the way they used to operate. And this mill was incredibly profitable. So I decided I couldn't take it anymore. I saw two guys up on a crane and I'm like, and I told my wife, I'm like, somebody's going to die here and there's nothing I'm going to be able to do about it. I mean, I was an EMT for a volunteer EMT and, and like, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy who runs into the fire when people are running away and, and I just couldn't stay there and, and have people die. And I, and I would speak up. I mean, don't get me wrong. And I, I was not popular. There were people who were pissed off at me all the time, you know, like, cause I'm rocking the boat talking about people's safety and shit. So I write, I submit my letter of resignation to my, my operations manager, not my supervisor, but the guy above him. And uh, I, I sent an all employees email on the day I submit my letter of resignation. And I say, I can't work here anymore. And I write a big, long email about, hey, guys, I know production's king and all that stuff, but someone's going to die here. I, and, I, I, and I basically said what I said here, this long dissertation. And I said, I am imploring you to stop, think, assess risks. Someone's going to die. Okay. Well, it nearly happened about five days later. While I was on my two weeks, you know, my two weeks after I gave my notice, we were on a shutdown and a guy was on a snorkel. He was actually on a scissor lift and he was helping. The, they were cutting a piece of like one inch steel. I think it was four feet by four feet, one inch steel. And he was trying and they were cutting it and rewelding it onto uh, this was over in the melt shop. And the guy stuck his, his head between the two rails to like hold the steel, which is a no, no, you're never supposed to reach outside of the basket. That's, that's like a, a gen, it's a rule in, in, in high work. And the guy who was controlling 
the snorkel, he said, oh, I need you to move. I need you to move down, bring it down. And he put the handle in the wrong direction. And he went up and nearly lopped this guy's head right off. Okay. Now, fortunately, he lived. Okay. He lived. But it was a major, major accident. Okay. Well, so the writing was on the wall. Like people writing, like, this guy ba- nearly died. He went to the hospital. I mean, it could he he was he was a centimeter from having his fucking head taken right off. So to to new course credit, what when that happened, and I can't remember all the details what happened, but basically they called me in the new mine manager. They brought her. Her name was Mary Emily Slate, and I'm giving her a shout out here one of the absolute greatest leaders I've ever worked for in my entire career. She and a guy named Joe Rawl from Cargill are, are two of my, they've had the two of the biggest impacts on me in, in my entire career. Mary Emily Slate called me in and she said, I don't, I don't want you to, to, to leave the company. In fact, I want you to stay and I want you to make a difference. I want you to change the way things happen here and a way things going on. And I said, what do you have in mind? She said, I want you to become like a safety officer. It'll be like a six month, a month appointment. I'm going to hire, I'm going to have you and another guy be in this role. And you're going to report directly to me, to the mine manager. And I said, okay, sounds good. I'll do it. And I rescinded my resignation and I did the job for six months. And it, and I, and it learned, I learned real quick that safety is driven by leadership. Okay. Safety is not something that happens from the ground up. That attitude is, is set at the leadership level. And it became very clear early on that all of the managers and supervisors that were there were the problem. Not that they were bad people, but their philosophy was production first, fuck safety. Okay. And a lot of people mis- underestimated her, Mary Emily. I didn't. In fact, I told people, I said, this is it. She was like from Alabama or something, Southern Bell, incredibly smart, very, you know, wicked, wicked, wicked smart. And she had elevated to, this is what I said to people. I said, this is a, a woman from Alabama in a man's, you know, steel is very much a man's industry. And she has elevated to the level that she's in, in a fucking steel industry. And you want to underestimate her? I said, what that tells me is she, the reason she, she's always the smartest person in the room. And she has the added advantage of everyone underestimating her. You know, that's what it told me was like, and sure enough, over the six months, she kept her word. She was dead serious. Safety was the number one priority. I, she shut down the facility for like five days. Okay. Nothing. She shut down the facility. We didn't do any work. And by the way, half our pay was from, um, so production. people were kind of pissed, huh? And, and we, and we did nothing but safety related meetings and everything. She was dead ass serious about this. And let me say this. Over the course of that six months, I think she fired half the management. She demoted another third. And after I left, after at the end of that position, I, I ended up leaving Newcore Steel and taking a position in, in automotive. So I, the end of my career at Newcore was, was this role. So the, um, the legacy I, of I, Walker Reynolds and this letter, is it a legacy of like positive change or is it a legacy absolutely. of- and, and what it is, is it, it's an example of I took the moral position. It was not popular. People were pissed off. Even to this day, I'm sure people are pissed off that I did that. But at the end of the day, it affected the change that needed to happen in that organization. And had, let me say this, this I want to, had Mary Emily Slate not been the leader there, it may not have happened. And to this day, and I know she, I think she runs a mill like in 
Louisiana or Mississippi now or something, but I can tell you, I've worked with a lot of leaders and the two that have stood out to me throughout my entire career is this guy named Joe Rolfe was the one who originally got me into this industry. He was my supervisor in the maintenance department and, but he had, and I think he eventually became, became superintendent or something outstanding leader. He was the one who taught me that managers need to manage to people's strengths, that it's the manager's job to figure out what motivates each of the individual people. That's what I learned from him. And from Mary Emily Slate, what I learned was that real leaders, the buck stops with them. Mary Emily Slate was the one who accepted full responsibility for the state of the facility. And then she did something about it. Can't remember what the, she was in charge of the whole facility. She was the, but I, I don't remember what the actual title was. It wasn't plant manager. It was, um, you know, G, GM of the facility. I mean, she was a big deal. She was important. Her. If you work in a, if you work in a, I've seen in my career, I'll, I'll bet you, if you talk to the people that I've worked with in my career, but before I became an executive and own all these companies and I'll bet you, if you talk to them, none of them are surprised that I am where I'm at right now. I guarantee you, none of them are surprised. They may not all be happy about it, but none of them are surprised. Okay. The guys that, I mean, the guys I worked with at Cargill who gave me a heart, you know, they used to pick on me, you know, pretty boy and college boy and all this crap, you know, cause I wasn't, I didn't look like a working class guy. You know what I mean? But I was a working class guy and and, you know, I always wore gloves and I, I didn't want to get calluses on my hands. You know, I mean, I was like, I, you know, you know, they're not surprised when it comes to safety. There was a guy who ended up getting killed at the Cargill mine. It was a contractor, a, a bin collapsed and killed a truck driver. And, you know, there was a, a bunch of people who wrote letters into that local paper in upstate New York about, you know, how dangerous it is there and they need to shut the mine down. And I actually responded and I said, listen, I haven't been at Cargill in 15 years. I have friends who work there, guys that I served with on the mine rescue team. And I fucking assure you that you couldn't possibly work at a safer place than Cargill. I mean, I'm telling you, they safety is ingrained in that organization, top to bottom. I mean, and they're not paying me to say that. That was just the God honest truth. Yeah. <laughs> they... And when I went to Newcore Steel, it was the exact opposite at that facility in Auburn. When I went and visited other facilities, I've never seen a company that took safety as seriously as Cargill did ever in my career. And so for those Cargill executives out there who don't even know that I ever worked in a Cargill facility, you know, I'm on the back end of my career now. I started my career at Cargill. That has still stood with me. That's the gold standard. And Cargill's safety's safety attitude is the, is the attitude by which I compare all other organizations. I mean, all other organizations. And, um, but what I will say is if you're the employee that, you know, you see something, you know, it is quit your job it, and write an email or <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, at the, I, I always had a different, I used to tell people all the time. I, I say, I started saving 10% of everything I made once I started turning 19, because my dad told me there's no, you don't have freedom until you have financial freedom. There's no such thing as freedom. Some people call it like, fuck you money or whatever. Right. I have that. I mean, I don't, money never comes into my calculation. I had the advantage when I was at Newcore Steel that I was there for a reason. And I had the advantage of saying, I can quit this job and I'm still gonna be able to pay my mortgage and all those things. I, I've had that attitude my whole career. I believe that that is the, the best way for you to be able to say what's right. There isn't a single company out there that can use money or financial incentive to get me to say something 
either positive or negative about them or someone else. I say what I say freely in my mind because money isn't part of the calculus. I, I am free. I mean, I'm, I'm mission-driven and values-driven. It was the same thing back then. If you were dependent upon that paycheck then, you would have kept your mouth shut. Correct. Like when I was at Cargill, I was dependent upon that paycheck. But by the time I left my, once I was done at, at Cargill at the end of my career, I had saved up the one year's salary. So, you know, and we may do something like, what did I do to become financially free? I might do that too, you know, at some point. How did I, what was the approach? You know, a lot of people try to do three months salary, six months. I wanted a year. I started with a year. I started paying my bills this month with money I made 12 months ago. You know, that's, that was my first goal. And then just kept going, you know, anyway, my, my point is, is that being a change agent, you know, when they say, when you burst through the glass ceiling, you're going to get cut up. It's true. The change agent, you have got to be willing to make enemies. And the thing that you should care about is whether or not you're right. Mm. Are you right? Not popular. Uh, Hey, listen, I got to drop. I've got the executive meeting. (laughs) 